What is going on? You guys are listening to Yuppies and Harpoons. I am a co-host, Joe Moeller, and to my right is Jacob Glenzer. Jacob. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. So we are entering a new stage of, uh, I guess, the Trump indictment saga this morning. I was planning to talk about political theory, uh, but the news cycle just, you know, well, why not takes precedent, I guess, over, over. What's that? Former sitting president. The fourth indictment for the former sitting president <laughs> takes yeah. little precedence over that, I guess. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big uh, story. I think that the, it, it looks like the, the George prosecutor from Fulton County um, mm-hmm. indicted Trump and a bunch of other um, Trump allies, I guess, and Trump officials. Mark Meadows right. included Rudy Giuliani on um, interfering and seeking to overturn the, um, the, the Georgia election results. And um, this was coming from the, yeah, the Wall, the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they were mentioning, I think it was called, it was like, they called it racketeering, that it was uh, the racketeering charges carries a sentence of five to 20 years while a conspiracy conviction can uh, consult, can, can result in a minimum sentence of one year in prison while uh, with a variable maximum sentence. And so okay. um, I've never... I've actually never heard the word racketeering used uh, in a legal setting, and so maybe that's just because I'm, you know, a novice. But it's a, it was kind of weird hearing that word racketeering. Like, what? What does that well, mean? And I, and I think part of that too is really trying to. It's not just Trump, but um, there's a number of others. I think 19 people total involved in this indictment. Um, so going into Mark Meadows and Sidney Powell, um, two people who very loyal to Trump through 2020. And January 6th, you know, the big lie, if you will. So really bringing down not just Trump, but all of his supporters and his close allies there. So this one's really hitting Trump personally and uh, strategically as well. Yeah, I think it's an interesting case because um, there's a lot of, I guess, what you call bad behavior that everyone would agree that Trump engaged in. I think almost, I think that's actually a very bipartisan statement that Trump, Trump behaved very, very inappropriately um, throughout mm-hmm. the um, January 6th you know, saga and, and before that. Um, going to a secretary of state, regardless um, of if you can prove that his mental state um, actually was that he believed that the election really legitimately was in Joe Biden's favor. Like even mm-hmm. if, even if Trump really, if, even if you can't prove that he didn't have a mental state, a mens rea, um, the behavior that he engaged in by trying to pressure, um, uh, Brad Raffensperger to find votes is just, it's absurd. And, um, it's, it's not, not, it's not absurd. It's, it's, it's bad. It's, it's, it's immoral. Um, but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily legally prosecutable. You have to, you have to prove. And I think this is where the, you know, the George case is going to be, you know, interesting to see how it plays out. It's a, the, the burden is on the prosecution to show that Donald Trump won, knew that the election was not stolen and that, and knew that Joe Biden legitimately won specifically, um, the election in the state of Georgia. Um, and that while in that mental state, so he, he can change his mind, but you have to prove that at the time he was pressuring Brad Raffensperger to find you know, illegally, illegally find, you know, fr- you know, fraudulent votes that at that time he thought 
that Joe Biden had legitimately won uh, the the election uh, in Georgia. And right. um, that any any time you have a mens rea component that's kind of iffy, the legal standard is very very hard to reach. It's 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 very hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this is now number four. So the first one was a Stormy Daniels payment. So that was a state <clears throat> uh, prosecution. Then the next two are both federal courts. So you have the Mar-a-Lago uh, classified documents and the efforts to overturn 2020 election. So that one's being um, handled down in D.C. So this then is another state prosecution too. Um, so how that, you know, what what Georgia laws are, are on the books then t- as well to make a case for, for this against Trump um, will be pretty interesting to see how that plays out. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Well, oh, and just uh, so our viewers know, I we're actually recording this in the morning. Uh, we're normally some evening guys, but um, circumstances change. Before me today is a really nasty looking protein shake. I do, this is my advertisement for my amazing protein shake. What's in this is you have one banana, you have a little a dab, a dab of milk, and then you have oats, uh, and then you have uh, one 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 egg, and then you have um, one scoop of protein powder, and uh, a handful of berries and peanut butter, and so it is absolutely oh. delicious. Uh, you're you're free to use this recipe. Uh, I'm not gonna if you, if you sell it online, I won't come after you. But it's 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 phenomenal. Is that what are you drinking, Jacob? Thing. I got myself some uh, a double shot espresso, uh, iced. So pretty straightforward, just to get the blood flowing in the morning. But um, and then I also have, as a backup, you never know, some uh, kombucha. Oh, where'd you get that? Yeah, this is this is from uh, Little, so grocery store. Um, L-I-D-L-E-S? L-I-D-L, Little. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I've been there. Um, yeah, this is like an orange flavor they have. Uh, this brand Remedy um, has a number of flavors that all are really great. Enjoy drinking them. For sure. From California, it's probably probably is. <laughs> I definitely can trust something like this from California. Yeah. Um, no, it's actually from Australia. So that's well, that's better. Yeah. Yeah. But well, anyway, sorry. I I always we're we're gonna try and make a tradition of discussing what we're drinking. I'm not sure this is something that people will want to replicate or not. But if they do, craft kombucha is huge up in Vermont, and um, that's right. You know, it's a, about an hour drive away from me. So uh-huh. I love I lo- I love me some kombucha when I get the opportunity. But um, yeah. So about about this indictment, um, I'm not sure. I. I I'm more watching from afar, specifically, especially especially with like the state cases. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know what they're going to be able to come up with in terms of, of of evidence to be able to say that you know to prove Trump's mental state. I think that the the two the two to watch are actually the federal ones because one, I think the the Florida case they have Trump on the law. Um, we'll talk about that probably later in a different episode, but um, I, I think they have him dead to rights. The but the, the problem in Florida is that uh, for for the prosecution is the jury pool. So the jury pool selection 
if you sample a bunch of people from Florida, it's very, very likely you're, you're going to have somebody who, you know, doesn't give a damn about right. the law and just is like, this is political prosecution and, you know, you need a unanimous jury. And so, um, the jury pool selection is going to be much more in Trump's favor in Florida than it would be, um, in a place like DC. And so, mm-hmm. which is where this, um, overturning the election, uh, January 6th case, that's also, I think, by, what's, what's the guy? I, I totally just blanked on his name, the, the lead prosecutor. The, the judge in that one, or? No, the, uh, the, the prosecutor. The uh, special prosecutor. For the DC. Is, that, is it Ryan? Um, or Jack Smith? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I believe Jack Smith. Um, trying yeah. to think. Um, but yeah. But, you know, he, definitely he, the DC one, there's a lot more, um, you know, the judge has been very strict on January 6th trials up to this point. So mm-hmm. we know uh, she's made it very clear that, she, you know, she's not going to take this lightly. And um, and then on top of it, the jury selection, um, which is which is why you see Trump's attorneys trying to force this out to Virginia or someplace a little bit more favorable for a jury selection in Trump's right. favor. Right. <laughs> yeah, because D.C. is one of the worst places and so that's what makes this kind of interesting and unpredictable because you have the best case in like what we call the worst venue. Um, right. And then we have, I would say, a lackluster case uh, with the D.C. case, um, one that I, I think they're going to have a really tough, tough time legitimately proving a mens rea. Um, but in a venue yeah, that is overthrow the election. Yeah, or- yeah. And do you think part 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 of that is just that he wasn't successful? Joe Biden still took office January twentieth, um, and there was a, a transfer of power there. You know, how much do you think that plays into this case specifically? Like the fact that it's the Biden administration. Uh, just the fact that Trump's efforts weren't successful to overturn the election. Um, you know, if he was intentionally doing it. Um, there, you know, it wasn't successful, and and so how much does that play into into this case here in D.C.? <clears throat> um, well, I think if he had been successful, mm-hmm. um, there wouldn't he would be he'd be the head of his own Justice Department, and so so it doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I don't think it really. Yeah, I don't think it would. I don't think his own Justice Department would be going after him. Um, yeah, and so I don't have that much confidence in the independence of this. Justice Department uh, to, to to think that someone like Donald Trump, if they overturn the election, would then be prosecuted, right? So, but yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's an interesting, it's yeah, certainly an I interesting the, um, current event to watch, especially with the lead up to primaries and then, of course, twenty twenty four presidential election too. So, yeah, a well, to, a lot to. Uh, keep the headlines rolling, I feel like, in the next 15 months here. Certainly. Yeah. And I think um, when it comes to the primary, you know, we've been watching this evolution of what exactly do Republican primary voters want. And there's a lot of different spins out there for, you know, or takes that that people have. But I think a, a more interesting question and kind of diving into what, you know, I had 
sketched out before this huge headline dropped, which is basically a discussion of, of what it means to be, you know, far right, what it means to be far left. I think that that's a, a very interesting question in today's age because mm -hmm. it's just fundamentally, it's just fundamentally changed. Um, at least in my view, because you know, for a long time, um, I, the American political system had this really unique political axis. And, and what I mean by that is you have a, you have a right wing and you have a left wing and, mm -hmm. you know, you can read any historian. They'll, they'll talk to you about, you know, right wing populists, right wing authoritarians, left wing populists, left wing authoritarians. Um, but in the, in the U S we've had something fundamentally different for a long time, which is on, on, on the, on the right, like, the, the philosophy of government heavily embeds itself into what we mean by right and left. What is your role of government? It, it, it goes the whole way back to Alexander Hamilton and, and Thomas Jefferson. Uh, Alexander Hamilton believed that, you know, he believed in a strong federal government. And, and part of that was because he was a man of the city. He was a man of industry. And so, you know, you have a lot of people living in a compact area and it was just easier for the government to be able to provide services in, in a small concentrated area. And, and, and he, as a man of, of loving the city and loving industry, believed in a, in a strong federal government, um, in a strong right. involved government in, in society. Thomas Jefferson was someone who really believed in the, um, in the lifestyle of agriculture. He believed that freedom and freedom from tyranny existed in, out, out in the woods, out in the cabins, you know, out in the farms and the ranches, and um, was very, very suspicious of the, uh, I guess, of the of the animal of, of of economics and you know and 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 compact cities and you know um, back in his day they didn't have buses and trains, but um, but yeah, it, it, and so and so you had this debate between Hamilton and and Jefferson and and. Really, that has been in existence in American politics, I would say, um, for about o almost 250 years. Um, I mean, this, this existed well, we before say, the founding. Before, yeah, before the Constitution. I mean, mm -hmm. fights yeah. taking place and conversations being had. Because um, Jefferson, you know, famously almost doesn't buy the Louisiana Purchase, which was, you know, one of the best land deals well, I talk about being real estate Mongol, and he was he nailed it with that purchase. But you know, yeah. debated whether or not he had the authority as a government um, to do that, and and then Alexander Hamilton on the the flip side then creates the National Bank, and um, you really see a push into larger government that way. Um, so yeah, very interesting, contrasting, and it's it comes down to just you know balance of power. Um, you still see that today with seemed like every four to eight uh, years we switch what parties in the white house um and that's kind of our way as a nation to continue that trend yeah it's um it's really interesting because back in well i would say growing up like my grandpa if you just talked to my grandpa classic conservative limited government hates almost thinks that the u.s constitution was too was too liberal he he likes the Articles of Confederation, keep keeping things at bay, you know. Um, State rights. He, yeah, yeah, right. Um, he 
he always told me that his favorite president was Calvin Coolidge. You know, and and when I've you know when you listen to like common Republicans that are considered very conservative, the pattern has been for them to say, "Yeah, I really liked Calvin Coolidge," or you know, um, or, or Ronald Reagan. Like George Will was a very big, I believe, was a was a very uh, pro Calvin Coolidge guy um, and writer, and um, and Calvin Coolidge basically didn't believe that the government really had a right to hardly do anything. You know, and um, mm-hmm. and 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 then his contrast back in the early 1900s were presidents like Woodrow Wilson and and FDR, and right. so you've had this this ideological distinction, and then uh, even later you have people like Lyndon Johnson, and um, you know who then years later is you know um, after two following presidents in comes to office Ronald Reagan. You know, um, a, a paleo conservative, someone who believes in the limited role of government, someone who adheres to Milton Friedman's view of, of liberal free market economics. Um, and, and, and kind of like yeah. a reaction to from FDR until Reagan, really, it, it is a, a growth of the government, um, increasing amount of government intervention. And, and Reagan, some part of Reagan's success was a reaction against that against uh, some of the policies that have been pushed forward by FDR and, and all the way through Carter. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because that's, that's what we've had here in the U S and I would say that that distinction even existed up through like the Bush and Obama era where you had, you know, Romney, Ryan, you know, running against Obama, Biden, you know, this classic of we want to cut taxes, we don't like Obamacare um, versus we believe in that it's the government's role to provide, you know, access to affordable health care um, and, and that the rich need to pay their fair share and we need to hold the banks accountable for their actions in 2008 versus, you know, the more you, you just you just see this this dynamic um, of of the right being the, the party that's interested or, or the think tank that's interested in limited government and the left being one that's much more um, supportive of an in, uh, of a more um, involved government in, in the lives of, right. of citizens. Um, but that is not the case. That's a long way to say that is not the case. And that's not the way it's been around the world. Um, if you look at Europe, I mean, if you look anywhere pretty much other than the U.S., the U.S. is really the... Um, Maybe the UK, you could argue, the UK has a similar a similar layout, kind of, to the US, um, but like with like with Thatcherism and and, and whatnot. But, um, but around the world, you you have a much different dynamic of of what it means to be right and what it means to be left, and um, and and you see this in the news. And yeah, uh, my uncle, you see this. Any, I'll get into what my uncle said here in a bit. But the the news headlines constantly say things like, you know, right-wing leader, you know, threatens this country's democracy. And it, and it always seems to be some right-winger. You know, it's it's never, it, you never, you never hear about the left-wing authoritarians anymore. And I think part of that has to do with, you know, the mainstream media's affiliation with the left. Um, but also, there is something different about being right and being left around the world. Right. And 
And there's an interesting book on this um, written by a guy named Jonathan Haidt called The Righteous Mind. And uh, in, in the book, he, he basically argues that to be to be tr- to be someone who is who is conservative is is to be someone who is reactionary in nature or in and 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 sees i have it basically like conservatism seeks to slow the rate of change to what's compatible within existing institutions and someone on the left or liberalism is the desire to change something because the injustice of the present circumstances weren't risking the stability of existing institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, the conservative critique of that isn't that they're not, it's not that they're not interested in pursuing justice. It's that the potential cost of sacrificing the stability of our institutions will bring about greater injustice than resolving the present injustice that those institutions currently impress upon the public. Right. So that, and, and I think that that has slowly worked its way into the American system as we've become a global superpower. I think what it means to be right and be what and, and be left, the, the global um, pendulum, I guess, if you will, the, the global political spectrum has slowly worked its way in to um, to American life uh, and into American politics. And, and and I think that begins to explain how the party, how the Republican Party especially, went from the party of Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan to the party of Donald Trump, where mm-hmm. you had a large contingency of voters who were just used to voting Republican. And yes, they kind of agreed with that. Let's cut taxes. Let's cut regulations. Um, I don't want government in my life, I guess attitude to somebody comes along with brass knuckle rhetoric and you know is reacting to the cultural shifts that are happening and those voters instantly latch on to him like that mm-hmm. and everyone's like what happened well and i think it's extremely important to point out you look at um the primary 2016 uh republican primary the the core of donald trump's voting base it's always fascinating Many of the folks in that original primary support um, that he had had been on welfare before. And these are folks that you wouldn't necessarily, some of their actions would not necessarily be aligned with the Republican Party, but they vote for the Republican Party um, because they see Trump as a change maker, someone who will reach out and actually recognize um, some of the folks in the Rust Belt in Ohio, you know, these states that had been left behind, um, you know, although Trump is very much an elite in his own way, um, he represented people that felt like they were harmed by the elite and wanted, um, wanted that to be resolved. And I think see a huge rise, um, in the primary through this population of people who were just left behind and felt they weren't connected with, with anyone in the, in the country. Um, so those are a lot of the folks that drive the base of Trump. Yeah, um, especially originally. And it's less, it's, it's less on policies and more on rhetoric, um, which is why I think it's it's difficult to pinpoint exactly what the Republican and what the Democrat platforms really represent at this point. 
um, because they they so different with the introduction of Trump in the mix. What do you think uh, Trump's done to the Democrat Party? Do you think he's shifted how um, how the left wing with the left wing means in the U.S.? Do you think he's changed that, or do you think they're still I think the, st- the left wing is still in in touch with like Obamaism? Mm-hmm. I go back and forth on you know did Trump change the Democrat Party um, kind of as a response to Trump, or was it? on that direction trump is is such a polar opposite it kind of showed where the democrat party was mm-hmm. um and less less as a driving change so i i think i think really trump didn't change the democrat party um i do think kind of showed what the democrat party priorities are um and and also i think the democrat party does an incredible job at PR, they know how to push things through. And, um, you know, I think they learned a lot under Obama with some of the stimulus packages that didn't have great support with the public. Um, they, they really have gotten down on how to sell what they want to do and, and, and the policies they do. Um, I think a lot of that they learned under Obama of how do we raise support for the new chips act or whatever, whatever bill is relevant at that point, uh, which wasn't always successful under Obama. Um, So they've done a really good job at reining that in and being able to push the agenda forward. Good or bad. Just, I think they've, they've done a good job at accomplishing their mission. Yeah. It's Um, interesting. Like you don't really hear much about, Oh no. it, it seems like a lot of democratic initiatives commonly are the most are, are, are very popular. Mm-hmm. And that, that's always something that, you know, someone who is, leans conservative, I've always kind of found mildly frustrating is that anytime you hear about, like, if you like, I think something like, what, 30, 37% of voters or low 40% of voters supported the tax cuts, which brought you know, the Trump tax cuts, which brought just a massive amount of economic investment to the U.S. and overseas mm-hmm. money. Um, and it's just like, oh, you know, 55% of voters oppose it. Like, what? You know, um, but, right. you know, if you if you look at something like, um, like the CARES Act, everyone was just, you know, completely in support of it. You know, uh, the, the, the polling on that was incredible. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Republicans have a, a really tough time with messaging. Um, I think that's and actually I, beginning to change. But that's a great, great way because they doubled the standard income with standard deduction. I'm sorry, they doubled the standard deduction of the Trump tax cut to what is it, twelve thousand and some change per person. So if you're married, twenty four thousand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, standard deduction, which is just, I mean, before. It wasn't. It was half of that, a quarter of that, um, and that impacts that bottom tier directly um, of, right. of tax. You know, people making less than four hundred thousand or more a year. Um, that they really benefited from that. Um, but like you said, from the child, they, from the child tax credit too. Um, child tax credit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't just a, a 
you know, tax cuts for the rich and the poor or middle class didn't get anything. They, the poor middle class had some pretty substantial benefits from this uh, right. direct benefits, not, not these, not, you know, in theory benefits, like some kind of trickle down. It was your standard deductions more than doubled now. Um, right. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be, it'll, it's, it's interesting to see how, you know, that's something Republicans really need to hone in. And I think have taken it for granted a little bit, um, or just not had to focus on knowing how to sell what they're doing. Um, I think that's part of the reason why they lost, uh, in 2020 so bad, um, across the board. And then again, the following year they lost Republicans lost because of messaging. Um, there's a lot of good things they had done and there was almost no coverage of those things. It was a lot of the negative feedback that put people on their heels. Um, that, that led the messaging and, and therefore lost the election for most Republicans and, and states they should have won. Yeah. The, the losses were pretty heavy in, in 2022. Um, but I think that this is also like, you're, you're seeing this, this change in what it means to be right wing in the Republican party, where we, we, we went from this kind of this paleo conservative pitch where our, our thinkers were people like George will and, Jonah Goldberg and whatnot. And it transitioned into this, you know, more of this populist, you know, we need to, you know, anti-free trade, um, very, this heavy emphasis on, on immigration, which mm-hmm. from a demographic standpoint, I don't think makes much sense in the U S but, um, this, this hyper focus on, on, on immigration and, and really not being involved around the world, uh, militarily. Um, you know, so, more recently we've seen like you know pools of people who do not want to offer any sort of aid to ukraine um and so to me it's like mike pence was kind of stuck on that question when he asked his thoughts on ukraine a few weeks ago by tucker carlson it was kind of like a litmus test of do you support the ukraine if so you know are you really republican um yeah very anti-intervention. I thought that was one of the most dishonest videos I'd, mm. I'd ever seen. the The idea that Mike Pence, um, well, it, well, actually, the the very premise of that i of that question that he was asked is that you know you're willing to provide um, lots of money towards Ukraine, but you know we have all these problems. We have homeless people in the streets. We have a crumbling infrastructure. I'm like, hold on a second. Wait. So, so is Tucker Carlson saying that he supports like Not government spending on 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 like city infrastructure or like what, what's he? That's not yeah. something that you know, he. Does he that's not something that the federal tenable? government should be doing if you're if you're a traditional conservative. That's something that the local city should be doing through their own tax revenues. And it's not like local city revenues been being used to fund Ukraine. It's been it's been federal federal money, and so. I just, I, I don't know. I, I think that that was just the, the setup of that was, it just played right into Tucker's hands. Like, yeah, you know, we, we you, you know, we, we have an invasion of our Southern border as if we can't fix our Southern border and right. help out Ukraine. Like we don't have the largest GDP in the world. And, um, you know, although we are spending high levels, it's like 
a few billion dollars is a line item. It, it's pretty minor when when you're talking trillions of dollars, and as well. And like you said, like does that mean Mike Pence should support entitlement programs and like increase those? Because that doesn't sound good either from his base. Well, so, that's the thing, though, is that, is that Trump doesn't support cutting Social Security, right? Right. He's not. He's not going to touch Social Security. He added eight trillion dollars to the debt um, while he was president, um, and so you know, we're at a kind of I would say an inflection point of what it means to be conservative in today's age. And I think that the Republican Party uh, has a lot of candidates that are running around Trump. You know, or, or I mean, obviously, all are behind it behind Trump in the polls, but. I think there's a lot of traditional Republicans that are trying to like present themselves as as like this populist guy who you know agrees with Trump on you know a lot of the populist rhetoric, but but really once once you take the mask off, they're just going to be a traditional Republican. Right. And I, I think part of the reason that they're not catching any sort of ground is that um, that's really not what Republican voters want. There's a large contingency that. Donald Trump exposed to not be that interested in limited government philosophy, you know? Um, right. And so. Well, and, and that, you know, I think it goes back to as well, the U.S. in part has been too successful because our strategy is to be kind of the world police. We don't want to admit it, but let's be honest, how many countries in the world do not have a military and just rely solely on the U.S. military for protection? Um, right. It goes back to uh, one of the Navy admirals back in, I think, the 1800s who said, if you control the, the ocean, you control the world. Um, and that's kind of been one of the dominating philosophies of the U.S. and of the U.S. being on as the world power. Um, so not being involved in Ukraine, well, well, how what does that give up in terms of credibility for the U.S.? Um, there's no good solution. And if anyone running right now was elected tomorrow, how different would they handle Ukraine um, once they actually are faced the decision themselves? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Ukraine's, an, I think, is a very interesting um, right. debate on the right because, like, like, to me, we're the country that went around and tried to build up. Um, I guess an ally spreadsheet against the Soviet Union by mm-hmm. encouraging countries to become westernized and democratic. And you know, are we going to let a country in Europe be have its own sovereignty violated? Um, and and yeah, you know, I, I constantly hear you know conservatives say you know, that uh, NATO encroached on, on, on Russia or whatever. And it's like, you know what, even, let's say, even if that's true, that doesn't, that doesn't, like, I I can't say that someone else provoked me and therefore that justifies me beating the living shit out of somebody else. Right. You know, that that doesn't make any, you know, so the the morality of it is, it's like, you know, well, we, we knew, we knew that they were already tempted to punch, you know, Jimmy in the face. And then, you started telling them that they didn't have the guts to punch Jimmy in the face, and then you then you did it. So I guess it's okay. It. Like, that it, it doesn't. It, it's a it, it's a terrible terrible thing that Ukraine was invaded. Its sovereignty was violated. And so, you know, as a yes or no, 
is what Russia did a good thing? Now, I guess whether or not you support uh, giving aid to Ukraine and helping Ukraine, that's kind of a, a separate question. But I think if the U.S. has an interest in, in the, the world order or, or the norms of, of sovereign borders being protected, um, it needs to it needs to supply aid to Ukraine. It, I mean, it, it does right. because we want to say the exact same thing with Taiwan, and so I, mm -hmm. I, I don't see that as something that's um, really that questionable. Um, especially when we can basically aid the um, the Ukrainian military and deplete the Rus the Russian military at the same time. Um, right. Yeah. And it's not like we haven't been in Ukraine. We we have military bases, military presence in Ukraine. Uh, we do joint exercises with Ukraine. It's been regularly, you know, it's well known um, that we have relationships with Ukraine. Um, so this coming out of nowhere of suddenly we don't do anything with Ukraine. Ukraine's on their own. Just is not true and doesn't support the narrative um, as well. Not to mention, I mean, what's the alternative? We just pull out of Ukraine completely and Russia takes over one more country. And then what's what's after that? Yeah. <clears throat> oh, there's also this idea that NATO is a uh, somehow Russia. Like, uh, the, other, the other problem I have with this, uh, the, the idea that Russia uh, was provoked is that NATO, what, is it going to attack Russia? Is it going to conduct a land invasion? Are you, are you going to see NATO tanks, you know, flying through, you know, these these limited access points um, that 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 Russia craves, you know, and, and then just invading Moscow? Like, who 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 thinks that's going to happen? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, may, maybe if you're, you know, a, a Russian and, and you listen to Russian state media all the time, you think that NATO is going to. Invade, but that's something that's been propagated by the Russia, by the Russian media state empire, and so I, I don't, I don't think that that's uh, something that's realistically ever, ever going to happen. Right, and I think part of the issue right now is so many states are you know one foot in, one foot out. You look at China, you can even look at like Saudi Arabia, where they're going and making deals directly with Russia, with China. Um, having these um, economic reliance on one another, but all while not really supporting Russia at the same time directly. Um, so I feel like the U.S. And, and NATO, really NATO as a whole, is looking at it saying, if we were to do a land invasion into Russia and, and try to, you know, show who's boss, what other countries are going to come behind? Is China coming in? Is Saudi Arabia? Which side are they going to pick? India, which side are they going to pick? I think there's this whole, all these countries involved that don't know how they would get involved. Um, and I think until, you know, maybe China makes it much more clear, of, hey, we're going to be behind Russia 100% or no, we're, we're not going to be behind Russia at all. Um, then I think you're just going to kind of see the standby until... It's just going to be a dogfight until someone finally gives up, it seems. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, no, I, 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 totally, I totally agree. What do you think of the fact that um, someone like Putin is considered right-wing? Do you agree with that description? No, not really. I mean, I, I don't think it's fair to compare 
I mean, he's a dictator. And so he doesn't have right or left wing overall. I think you could look at some of his policies and, and say, yeah, that's that's more right versus left. Um, but to say, like, blanketly, no, I don't think that's fair because he's not operating in the same system as the U.S. So by putting, like, American labels on something outside the American system, doesn't really... I, I think all it does is, is make the label weak in the long run because now we don't really know what does right versus left actually mean. What yeah. about you? Um, well, I think that... I was giving this some thought the other day, and I think that because the new thing relatively on the world stage is liberal democracy and how that mm -hmm. slowly evolved into like a global order reactions to, I guess, Westernization are reactionary, like that in, in nature. You see this in India, you see it in Brazil. Um, you see it in, you see it in China to some extent, uh, although China's a little bit of a different situation. Um, and you see it in Russia. And they are reacting and, and out of that reaction, proposing new directions. Um, and so attitudinally, I would say that someone like Vladimir Putin is, is right wing. But in terms of his policy, there's, there, I, I can't make any sort of helpful prediction about what Vladimir supports as, or what Vladimir Putin is going to do based on a certain ideology other than machoism. And, mm -hmm. you know, machoism, it, it's not really a, a place you can put on the political spectrum. My, my uncle had a, had a funny line once. He said, where, like, where do you put jackass on a political spectrum? You know, and I've always I've always liked this. It's like you have these truly awful characters that, you know, come onto the scene and everyone wants to throw them to the right or to the left. And um, I was doing this thought experiment the other day with uh, with the Nazis where you, know, you walk through what the Nazis supported, what they did, um, what their campaign rhetoric was like. Um, and, you know. When, when you do the totality of the circumstances, which is a term we use in law school, um, when you take the totality of the circumstances, it's not clear at all what they were. Like, you have, um, for instance, anti-Semitism. It's like, well, I, I hear this always, you know, people think, uh, like, characters like Richard Spencer is, you know, is a far-right guy. Well, if you, if you look at you know, and because he's a neo-Nazi, and it's like, well, he voted for Joe Biden. He actually came out and and endorsed uh, Joe Biden. And Joe Biden, you know, correctly throughout his endorsement. But um, but uh, but someone like Richard Spencer supports universal health care. You know, and, and and if you start looking through uh, like the Nazi platform, they are from an economic standpoint anything but something that falls into the, like the traditional American you know, limited government access. Um, but when it comes to, uh, I'm sorry, when it, but it, when it comes to anti-Semitism, uh, 
that's not something that exists solely on the right. I mean, actually, in fact, right. the, the right wing in, in the United States is really fascinating because it has anti-Semitism. People like Marjorie Taylor, Taylor Greene and, you know, that caucus that talks about, uh, you know, Jewish space lasers. Um, but, but we also have the most pro-Israel politicians in, in the Republican Party, people who basically right. seek the endorsement of Benjamin Netanyahu as a, as a campaign, you know, sticker to put and, and market around to, to people, to conserve, to Republicans around the country. And so mm-hmm. you have this weird dynamic. And, and so clearly that's a, that's kind of odd. And then you have people on the left who clearly, clearly have, um, have anti-Semitic, uh, like just leanings. look at the squad. Yes. Uh, you know, yes. Extremely anti-Semitic comments, uh, constantly speaking out against Israel, but also just against Jews as a people group. Right, as a, as a people um, group. Yeah. You know, I can understand in a way speaking out against Israel as a nation, um, but, you know, speaking out against people, I mean. Well, there's a, there's a distinction, and I've, I've always, I've actually always appreciated it. Uh, appreciated this distinction from Ben Shapiro. He says you can, you can. There's a difference between criticizing the state of Israel and criticizing Jews. Correct. Yep, <laughs> and, yep, and people, well people tend to convolute those a, a little bit. You know, it's like, hey, you know, um, that uh, judicial reform bill sucks. You are an anti-Semite. You hate Jews. You know, uh, right. the reason that you don't support the judicial reform bill is because you don't think that you know the Jews are human. It's like. No, I, I because I believe in yeah democratic checks and balances, but good policy or yeah, and I think I think it can get very tricky when we don't correct on bad policy, um, because then then it's just rampant, and then it becomes this like ship that you don't want to be a part of associated at all because it's gone so far, and wasn't corrected along the way that that now the base can't get behind, right, but. Yeah, and I think another thing you mentioned Ben Shapiro. He he always mentions, you know, he was he's the most targeted um, individual by hate groups in the nation um, for a handful of years. I I don't know if who who currently holds that podium, um, but I know he's usually up there in terms of hate groups and death threats and stuff. Um, yeah, you know, obviously leads the largest conservative host or, or whatever the tagline he has, but. You know, very conservative and very hated by. Well, you know that whiny jet. voice is just so threatening. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just you hear that and you're like, oh my god, I'm, I'm scared for my life. <laughs> Miracles do uh, come true <sighs> because for a man like with his voice to make it in radio is is beyond me. Yeah, but, but to get, to get back to that anyways. to to the uh, original like not the original but like well, the point I guess I was driving at with with the Nazis. Was um, the the only thing I can really say that makes the Nazis like or, or describes the Nazis in any sort of like conservative rhetoric is their attitude. It's like we want to restore the Reich, you know. We want to bring mm-hmm. it back, and um, and so from that perspective, you know, I I get it. It's reactionary. It's that you know we got royally screwed over um, after World War One, and we're in an economic you know depression and. Um, this was caused by you know other leaders, and we used to be a proud people, and um, that that sort of you know let's go back mentality is a callback to some previous form of structure that I think um, 
that, 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 that I would say leans conservative. But, but, but if someone is going to call back to the, you know, if you're like a Russian today and, and you're talking about wanting to bring back the old Soviet Union, well, that might be a conservative impulse, but there's nothing ideologically consistent. It's, it's just a callback to whatever was, you know, a certain amount of time ago. Um, another example of this would be the, during the American Revolution, right? You know, the conservative psyche would lend itself to being a Tory, you know, as opposed to being a revolutionary. And so, you know, the people that we're more conservative or are more conservatively minded today and, and are more um, in lockstep with trusting institutions, I think would be more Tory minded and, and more likely to have been Tories back in the days of, of the revolution. Whereas people who didn't give a damn and, and don't tend to give dams about, you know, uh, existing institutions uh, because they see injustice, um, they would have been the revolutionaries. And um, I'm not sure how that, I'm, I'm not sure how correlated that is along party lines, mm-hmm. um, you know, how correlated the attitudes are. Um, but I, I think if that's going to be your hermeneutic, then um, it has no ideological weight to it whatsoever. And so calling somebody like Vladimir Putin right wing has no affiliation to me considering myself center right in the U.S. Um, right. But and I think yeah. I think that goes back to the whole like Putin's outside of our classification of what that is right versus left Putin does what he wants. He doesn't have to answer to anyone, but Putin. Right. Um, so if he feels something is beneficial or, or is needed to be done, it doesn't have to go past the lit- litmus of some party test so he can get reelected. He has election in the bag. He's good to go there. Now he can do what he wants. Where I think in the in the U.S. you you do have a little bit more of that. This person's left or this person's right, because every four years or, or two years or whatever the election cycle is for that position, is they're going to have to pass that litmus test again of saying, "Oh, I'm still I'm still your you know right wing guy," or "I'm still your your left wing guy," um, t- to the base where, in in places like China, that they don't have to worry about that because their elections taken care of. They don't have election cycle to handle. Yeah, yeah, so, um, that's for sure. Well, I think we're coming up on. Were you? Yeah, what were you gonna say? Well, I, mean, I think I think that's part of you know not to bring any credit to Putin or to uh, Xi Jinping in China. It, dictatorships are efficient and at a governing governing style, um, they can get things done. They can move quickly because they are the ones making the shots. Where in the Literally. U.S. you have a little bit longer, you have those checks and balances, so things don't happen immediately. Um, so that's, I think, that's another level of why the whole Ukraine situation is fascinating because you have Putin making the calls for Russia, and then you have this—I uh, don't even know what you want to call it—but the rest of the world basically trying to come together and have one opinion on where to land on the Ukraine crisis. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's just going to lead to further impasse, right? But that's that's just my last thoughts on on that, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I think we're approaching the um, close to the hour mark. We have a couple more minutes, but um, I think we've covered our bases here today. So 
this is episode number two and so hopefully we can yeah keep this up and um if you guys are enjoying the yuppies and harpoons uh podcast don't hesitate to subscribe we uh we're, we're just like two young bucks that are looking to get into this and um yeah we really appreciate like, you listening subscribe. what's that like comment. and subscribe comment uh rate us what, what else do uh, you do with podcasts share it um, yeah preferably don't don't leave a rating if it's not good yes you know? yeah, yeah yeah just next channel um so but yeah no if you, I, share, I, if you share it Jerry will personally come to your house and bake you a cake so if you share it with your personal friend you don't want me to do that Jerry will come to to everyone's house I can't and, cook. And, uh, I can't do it yeah, I'm terrible. But anyways, but all anyway, right. all right. Hey, well, good, good seeing you, and uh, we will catch you later for uh, podcast three that will be released next week on Wednesday. All right, see ya. Yuppies and podcast, or yuppies and harpoon. What am I? Um, do I know the name of this thing yet? No. All right. <laughs> hey, deal. We're gonna need to cut that out on the on the on the final on the final. You just need to cut that out. Um, so. All right, we will we see just, you we next. We just out to just go, and then and then we can stay as a pod. Keep cutting, pod. keep cutting. All right, hold on. So, all right, what I'm going to say is, we will see you next Wednesday on Yuppies and Harpoons. All right, three, and we will see you next Wednesday for our next episode, episode three, uh, next week. Oh God! Oh my God! I botched that. Hold on, hold on. Okay, okay. Oh my word! All right. All right, you're about to get fired. All right, three. All right, and we are going to have uh, an episode up this Wednesday and also next Wednesday. We're going to keep it on the Wednesdays. We want to keep it at the peak of the week. All right, Jacob, I'll see you next week. Signing off. All right, si signing off. <laughs>